Welcome to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast, where we aim to give swimming the coverage and publicity it deserves. Every week, we celebrate the sport we love with amazing special guests and topics from around the swimming pool. And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Dan. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. I'm your host Scott and with me at the end of the phone this week we have one of British Swimming's leading lights right now and key backstroker in Luke Greenbank. How are you doing Luke? I'm good thank you. Thanks for joining us this week. What we are going to do for this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast is we are going to talk to Luke about the meets that he competed in at Manchester his experience there, his performance, and then we're going to look ahead to Tokyo Trials and maybe finish with some backstroke advice for all the young backstrokers out there. So Luke, Manchester, it, for all of us not in the world of swimming, it kind of caught us all by surprise. How much warning did you have going in that there were going to be these two meets for you elite swimmers to race in? Um, well, to be honest, we, we kind of found out quite late as well um okay. everything was everything was a little bit um uncertain as to whether it was going to go ahead yeah. certainly from our perspective i don't know if the coaches knew a bit more but um we kind of were told we might have some opportunities to race this cycle um but again we weren't really sure uh when they would be but um yeah it turned out to be manchester and the meets will run really well yeah, so you didn't kind of have any time to factor in like a short taper for these sort of meets. You'd almost keep training through it, basically. Yeah, I think that we we just kind of saw them as in-season meets, really. Um, yeah. We, well, we, me, myself, um, I had like a a week's kind of recovery week that we normally would factor into to a, a training cycle. Okay. Um, so we had that norm that recovery week going into Manchester, but. Um, yeah, it, the, it wasn't really a taper. It was more just a chance to freshen up a little bit and um, recover from the work that we've been doing. So the experience in Manchester, you were all in kind of a COVID-secure bubble at a hotel and it was all very strict. You're not allowed to leave the building at all unless it was for the pool. Did you have many interactions with other swimmers at the hotel? Because I know there were a lot of younger kind of 17-year-olds who were there by themselves in the rooms. Did you have any interactions with those guys? Um, not so much. When we were in the hotel, we we had to kind of stay in our rooms. We were, okay. we were only allowed out for um, meal times. Um, we had to go downstairs and collect our food and then go back up to to, um, to our rooms. Okay. So there wasn't a lot of um, time for interaction with other people. Um, you occasionally saw people in passing, but most of the interaction um, I had was, was at the pool. So you kind of had to keep yourself to yourself when you were in the hotel? A little bit, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then when you were poolside, was there kind of... Because I know it was lacking the fans and the crowd there, and you weren't even allowed to shout. Was there a good energy going around the meet at the same time? Because I know there were several British records falling, especially in the Parasite, and then you had your own one yourself. Did the swimmers kind of pick each other up and make up for the lack of atmosphere there? Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone there was was very grateful to have the opportunity to race. Mm. Um, obviously, there's not been a huge amount of opportunity over the last year, um, only really ISL. 
Yeah. Uh, so for a lot of people, this was the first time back in the pool racing. So um, everyone was, like I said, very grateful and, and, and very happy to, to be there racing. And I think that showed in um, some of the performances. Did you get to like interact with any of the other swimmers when they or after their races at all, or was it again bubble secure? Um, yeah, I mean we were able to, we were able to kind of um, interact with one another after the races as long as we were maintaining social distancing and masks were being worn and stuff like that. So mm. um, it was good to, to see people that I haven't seen in a while. Um, but yeah, you just had to make sure that you were um, staying close to the protocols that British swimming had laid out. So. We can't not talk about your British record. You obviously broke James Goddard's 200-back record that has stood since 2010. Is this something you had targeted kind of early on in the season? And from ISL, did you think you had the form to get that time? Um, if I'm honest, I didn't think I'd break it in Manchester. Um, okay. It was, definitely, it was definitely a goal going into um, trials. Yeah. So uh, that was something at the back of my mind that I wanted to achieve. Um, but yeah, going into Manchester, I just wanted this time. I wanted to improve on what I did last time. So in the first meet, I went one fifty six three. I just wanted to try and get a little bit better than that, and to come away with that British war record was absolutely incredible. Um, we went into me and Mel kind of have this philosophy where we go into every race with purpose. So we want to try and get something out of every race. Right. Uh, and in the heats, I was I was feeling good, so I, I really pushed on for it and. Um, yeah, to come up with a 155 in the heat just kind of acted as like a, a jump pad to, to try and improve on that in the final. Yeah. Because um, that's what I want to do. I always want to get better from heat to the final. So um, I set the standing quite high and then, um, yeah, thankfully managed to improve on it. Does it give you a lot of confidence now going into Tokyo? Because I know me and Dan have we've kind of broken down the world of backstroke and the names right now and the times that everyone's swimming, there's so much depth. And obviously right now you're leading the pack. Does that give you a lot of confidence? Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially doing it in kind of when I'm not tapered, yeah. uh, some of the best times when I'm not tapered. Um, the training that I've been doing over the past kind of six months to a year has been so much further ahead than any other point in my career. So I take a huge amount of confidence from that, and I think that's what leads to performances for me. Um, I'm aware that everyone else is obviously swimming very fast. Um, there's a lot of competition, and I don't take that lightly. Mm. Um, but I think as long as I go in there and say that I've done everything I possibly can, then I, I come out away with a result that I'm happy with, then um, that's all I can do, really. Do you think the extra year of preparation has been good for you? Yeah, I think... Um, Obviously, I was very disappointed last year when the Olympics um, was postponed, but mm. um, I did try and see it as a positive because I think I am in a better shape now than I would have been a year ago. Um, and I'm probably a lot more experienced in terms of uh, racing with that uh, ISL um, yeah. series plus um, a few races that I managed to get some good swims in the mud belt uh, the last few weekends as well. Mm. So you're one of the lucky few who thanks to your performances at 2019 World Champs, are already qualified for Tokyo. So how do you take trials? Do you taper for trials or do you train through it now? Do you stick with what's worked before? Um, so we're going to probably taper down a little bit. I don't know if it's going to be um, a normal taper or what. Uh, you probably need to talk to Mel about that. But, okay. Um, she's, got, she's kind of briefly gone through with me, but... Um, I, I want to put in a good performance at trials and use that yeah. as, again, like a jump pad 
going on to Tokyo. I want to kind of see where I am um, rested and tapered. Is there any areas that we can maybe improve on, and, uh, or kind of look at the race and, and work out what my strengths are, even on the hundred as well? Mm. Um, it'd be a good chance to, to a good opportunity to race race that as well. So, when do you kind of speak to Mel about when taper is happening? Is it something she just comes up and says we're starting this week, or do you have a kind of long, drawn out conversation? Um, a little bit of both, really. She gives me like a plan, okay, been through a plan a little bit um, last week. But um, me, she always says she likes to coach what she sees, so um, that could involve if I'm having a really rough day. Um, because sometimes at the start of taper, I feel a bit rubbish. But mm. if I'm on a bit of a rough day, maybe take it back a bit. Or if, if we're having a fast day or a good day, we can we can push on and, and maybe get some faster stuff out of me. Okay. So with trials being in April, it's a very different kind of system to what we see over in America. And obviously all those guys come Olympics, they're, they're all be there or thereabouts. And they only have to go through the one taper in kind of June, July time. How do you guys manage it with it just being April? You said it gives you a lot of confidence going into Tokyo. Is it good then to get another block of work in? Yeah, well, from my perspective, I've never really done the... Um, just a one um, taper season kind of thing. Yeah, late trials and extended taper. So yeah. um, from my perspective, I, I like it. Um, as it gives you the, the opportunity to get another block in before... Um, you take it down to the Olympics. So that, mm. that's kind of what I've always known. And to be honest, I think it works well for me. Um, and I'm not saying the other way wouldn't work, but I, I'm not really sure uh, as I've never had the opportunity to try it really. Yeah. I mean, based on your performances in 2019, where it was kind of the double taper, I, I would, yeah. I would stick with it <laughs> given that you got yeah. bronze. Um, yeah, definitely. So this might be a bit of a silly question given you didn't know that Manchester meets were overly on the horizon, but do you know how many competitions you'll be targeting after trials between now and Tokyo? I think there's the possibility of Europeans. Is it kind of up in the air again that there might not be too much racing? Um, to be honest, I'm not really sure. Um, does it, I think does that Europeans kind of... is a real possibility, but... We haven't heard anything yet mm. um, in terms of selections and stuff. I think that'll all come after trials. Um, so I, I can't really um, say whether we're going to be able to race a lot. But if not, I'm sure we'll have the opportunity to kind of do stand-ups and stuff um, yeah. as part of our training. So it doesn't kind of bother you. You've got so far now in the COVID world that it doesn't really affect you too much, that there isn't too much competitive racing on the horizon? Yeah, I think... If you want to succeed at the Olympics, you've just got to take everything head on and mm. and not be phased by the fact that we might not be racing or um, there could be certain obstacles in our way. And I think that is um, the certainly from my group as a whole, uh, my training group as a whole, we've handled that really well, as you yeah. can see from some of the um, results from Manchester. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's really important as, as an athlete. So we can we can expect some fast times in British trials then, basically. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> touch, touch wood. Um, so yeah. at this point in the season, I know it's March, no one's really expecting to be swimming fast times. Are you looking at medal chances in Tokyo? Do you ever keep an eye on that or do you focus solely on your own performances, your own training? Do you ever let your mind drift slightly towards it? Um, yeah, 
yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm always aware of what other people are doing, and you kind of have to be if you want to win medals. So, yeah. Um, that that's always in the back of my mind, but I wouldn't say going into a race, I'm worried about what other people are swimming. Mm. The only thing I control, I can control, is myself. So yeah. that's kind of the mentality I like to have, um, and I like to stick to my race tactic and um, know that I'm doing the right thing training leading up to the olympics and, and stuff like that so yeah like i said that it's always been a dream of mine to win an olympic gold medal so that's always going to be in the back of my mind but I, I don't let it overtake my my whole race preparation if that makes sense yeah do you get to kind of enjoy the the process a little bit more by doing that yeah yeah definitely more of a process um swimmer than, a, than an outcome driven swimmer if that makes sense yeah definitely so there, along with your individual 200 back, there is a strong possibility that the four by medley relay team is in with a shout with a medal, basically. I know me and Dan have broken it down so many times and we think GBR 1-2 when it comes to it. We're, we're there or thereabouts. Is that something you guys have discussed between yourselves? Um, well, I think, I think there's been like a big push for that relay mm. um, since the last Olympics, really, we've, yeah. we've had the opportunity to work as um, a, a group um, on a few national camps. So um, that's like the top three, three, four swimmers in each um, stroke gets the opportunity to go on these camps. So, um, yeah, it's been a huge push and something I'd love to be part of. But I think um, it's going to be it's, it's pretty tight for that backstroke leg. You know, mm. um, Joe Litchfield's been really swimming fast recently but yeah it's something that I'd love to um, to do being part of that relay in 2019 was absolutely incredible and I think if everyone swims their best on the day we're, we're definitely in with a chance of getting that gold medal so yeah it's, it's a huge part of um, certainly my preparation as well um, going into going into the Olympics so there's a lot of energy behind the scenes going towards relay swimming because I know the even the four by two hundred freestyle relays in with a good shout as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that British swimming has um, really established themselves over in, over the last um, few years, particularly with those two relays and then the mixed medley relay as well. Yeah. Um, yep. So yeah, I think the, there is um, a, a big push to to potentially get some medals on those events so you don't end up getting the british record in 200 backstroke without having an amazing backstroke stroke so the next few questions are going to be kind of advice for swimmers who are swimming backstroke now something dan has noticed during watching your races is the amazing underwater work you do off starts and turns how vital is it to to a backstroke race to have good underwater because it does seem like the top even the top 10 swimmers in the world they are good at backstroke because of their fly kick mm, yeah I think that's such a such an important part of any backstroke race really mm. um, we kind of broke down my my swim from um, the other weekend where I broke the British record and one of the main things that was um, so much better was, was the underwater work so that's a huge part of any um backstroker's race really and for me that's always been kind of instilled from a young age um when i used to swim at cockermouth um under sean barmer he always kind of had a huge push to improve our our underwater work um and it's kind of carried on through into my senior career i think there's still a little bit of room to be 
to work on it and okay. improve on, improve it. But um, yeah, it, it's massive, massively important. So, what sort of methods do you do to train it? Because for backstroke, it's important to have as powerful downbeat movement as it is up. Is there any specific like drills or training sets that you guys are doing? Um, I think for me personally, it just comes with the training naturally. If you think, oh, okay, um, you've got my again, my old coach Sean used to say that if you you do like a four k session, that is over 100 opportunities to push off a wall and if you go an inch further every session mm. then by the end of a couple of months your underwaters are going to improve massively um so i think you've just got to ingrain it and be um kind of strict with 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 stuff like that um obviously we do do kind of a lot of speed work with with that perspective um just like 15 meter burst is some of the stuff we do but but yeah i would say that the main um, way to improve would just be to kind of practice it whenever, when and where you can. So it's not training kind of vertical kick at the end of a session. You are kind of building it into your, it's almost your subconscious. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you when you are in a race and, and the pressure kind of hits, you always revert back to your training. So if you're doing stuff like that in training, mm. um, it's just going to be natural. Yeah. Are there any other aspects of backstroke swimming that kind of youngsters need to be focusing on? Because I know rotation's obviously key, head position, core strength. Is there anything specifically that you find really helps improve your times? Um, for me, I would say, uh, like I said, ro- rotation is incredibly important. Um, but also getting that catch at the top of your stroke um, and then just holding that water all the way down to your thigh. That That's where you're going to get the most efficiency out of your stroke and um, that's going to, where, going to be where you're get, probably going to get the most improvement. Again, do you pra- practice that in drills in training or is it, again, kind of just repetitive from swimming backstroke? Do you isolate any of these kind of movements? Um, so I would say that there are a few drills that, that we like to do. Um, there's one... We don't really have a name for it. Mel calls it wide arm, but um, basically you pause at the top of your stroke um, and school for six kicks and then pull. And that school just kind of gets your awareness for where the water is um, on your hand and makes sure you can get a catch on it. Um, So that's really important. But again, similar to the fly kick, like you have to be implementing that into your into your training throughout and and making sure that it becomes natural for when you race. Yeah. Okay, Luke. Well, we, we've rattled through a lot very quickly. Um, if you don't mind, we usually finish with some quick fire questions so that our guests can get to know the elite swimmers just a little bit better. How do you feel about answering some of those? Yeah, totally fine. Uh, okay. So first one, what is your favorite event? Uh, I like, well, that's a good question. Actually, (laughs) I used to be a fly swimmer. Um, I used to enjoy doing 50 fly. I wouldn't say I'm amazing at it, but that would be up there. Um, but I do like 200 back, to be fair. Um, I actually prefer it to the 100, which is uh, a little bit odd for many people, but I do like swimming 200 back. I was going to say, backstroke is one of, or 200 backs, kind of an underrated, painful event with the leg kick and everything, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I quite like 200 IM as well, to be fair. Yeah, um, actually, again, me, not... me and Dan were paying attention to your performances in the 200 IM, and... You looked, you looked really strong in the first kind of two legs. <laughs> the breaststroke, yeah. 
game and then uh, yeah I'm not great at breaststroke but it's an event that I enjoy doing so yeah. it's a little bit different the breaststroke is always the leveller yeah yeah um, so who's your swimming idol uh, so for me my kind of first memory of swimming um, was watching Phelps win eight gold medals at the 2008 Olympics so he's always been a, um, a huge idol for me nice. um, but I guess closer to home uh, the likes of Liam Tancock, Rebecca Allenton, James Goddard um, have always been kind of in the limelight when, when I was growing up. So I would say that they're, they're all my idols as well. Did you get to speak to James at all after breaking his record? Uh, no, I haven't actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> One to do. Um, <laughs> what's your proudest moment in swimming? Um, I think the relay at um, the 2019 World Championships was, was pretty special. Um, being able to stand on the top of the podium with the, the national anthem playing, um, and also down on poolside when I was watching Duncan swim that last leg. Yeah, um, yeah. just absolutely shouting my head off, and then realising he was actually going to win it, and that, that was pretty special. Um, so I said that's my proudest moment. What's the hardest set you've ever done in training? Uh, so I, I repeated this one last night actually um, oh, okay. <laughs> but we did it a few weeks ago and that was probably even harder um, so it was 8 100s short rest backstroke off 120 into 100 easy into uh, 100 at VO2 max and then the short rest drops to 6 100s freestyle off 115 100 easy 2 100s VO2 max and then you go 4 100 short rest backstroke again off 120 100 easy, three 100s VO2 max, oh, two 100s, um, freestyle short rest off, two, well, it's 115, um, 100 easy, and then you finish off with four 100s at VO2 max, and that was, yeah, that was pretty tough. <laughs> oh. I'll tell you what, Mel comes up with some really creative and tough sets. I've seen them on um, Adam Peaty's vlog on YouTube. They don't look overly fun. <laughs> no, that one, uh, that one wasn't particularly fun, though. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, that's probably one of the hardest I've ever done. Uh, Bit of a recovery day today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and if you were to go on a road trip, there's three people in the car. They can be friends, family or celebrities. Who would you have with you? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, that is a really good question. I wasn't prepared. For that. It's a tough one. Um, it's a tough one. Usually, some yeah. people stumble on this one. Yeah. Uh, so I think having someone funny would be important to keep you entertained. So uh, James Acaster is my favourite comedian. Okay. Nice. Uh, nice. Um, and then when people always talk about nice celebrities, they always talk about Dave Grohl, the lead singer of Foo Fighters. So yeah. I'd probably have him. You got a bit of music in there as well, then. Yeah. Exactly. Um. I'm not sure for the last one, to be honest. Uh, Any dogs? Any pets? Oh, yeah. I'll take one of my cats, Marvin. (laughs) That's the first cat in a road trip we've had. We've had lots of dogs, no cats before. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Luke. Well, thank you so much for giving up your evening and chatting to us. Good luck for trials. We look forward to seeing how fast you go then. And good luck for Tokyo as well. We have big hope for you. Uh, thank you very much. I will. We'll, we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks. Good to speak to you. Bye. Okay, everyone. That just about rounds up this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. Thanks so much, Luke, for joining us on this week's show. If you haven't subscribed to us already, you can check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other podcast providing platforms. I've been your host, Scott, and I will catch you on the next one. 
You've been listening to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast with Scott and Dan. We want to thank you for joining us and invite you to subscribe to the show as well as checking out the Propulsion Swimming YouTube channel for weekly tutorials and videos to get your swimming fix. We will be back next week. Until then, we'll catch you on the next one. I swam 1,416 lengths of my local pool. That's 22 miles, the width of the English Channel. In 12 weeks, you could conquer the English Channel too. Rediscover the joys of swimming from April by taking on Diabetes UK's life-changing challenge, Swim 22, in your local pool, and find a fitter you with every stroke. Click the banner or search Swim 22 to sign up for free today.